Let's pray. Father, we have experienced the blessing of you being with us in hard times. Father, I know that the Nielsens and, and the Mullers, all of those involved in that uh, circumstance, that they have felt your presence and that you have been with them. Father, I can't imagine uh, the difficulty that Sue's sister-in-law now has to experience all that she's going to go through. But Father, I pray that you'd be with her through all of that. I, I believe her name is Kim, if I remember right. I would pray that you'd be with her and, and watch her father through all those circumstances that she's going to have to face, the decisions she has to make. and Oh, and Lord, the one she's already made. Thank you for being with her through that. Continue to be with Sue and, and everybody concerned. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. I don't know if you're, uh, if you're aware of this, but there has been uh, recently a kind of key book written by a, an evangelical scholar who has said that he thinks that we should be much more patient uh, with Islam than what we have sometimes been. He actually calls for some fellowship uh, with Muslims. And he does that not on the basis of compromising in any way his Christian faith. He just thinks that the love of Jesus would call us to do that. And so there's been give and take on the internet recently about all of that, trying to respond exactly to how we should, thinking about how we should respond to this book and, and uh, the impact that it might have on evangelicals as they wrestle through all of that. And so I'm going to start by reading here something from the Quran, which I think is interesting. This says, people of the book go not beyond the bounds in your religion and say not as to God, but the truth. The Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, was only the messenger of God and his word that he committed to Mary and a spirit from him. So believe in God and his messengers and say, not three. In other words, there's not three in the Trinity. Refrain. Better is it for you. God is only one God. Glory be to him that he should have a son. Interesting words. You probably can see a difference between what that teaching is and what we might read in the scriptures. This talks about Jesus as Messiah, the son of Mary. It says actually the only messenger of God. But there are things there that don't mesh with our faith. And I don't think that what the Quran says about Jesus is true. Here's another quote from the Quran. They are unbelievers who say God is the Messiah, Mary's son. Now that's an interesting line because the Bible says exactly the opposite about Messiah. Say, who then shall overrule God in any way if he desires to destroy the Messiah, Mary's son, and his mother, and all those who are on the earth? For to God belongs the kingdom of the heavens and of the earth, and all that is between them. God is all-powerful over everything. Well, I agree that God is all-powerful over everything. I think it's a mistaken vision, however, to even ask the question about God destroying Messiah. The Christians say... 
The Messiah is the Son of God. That is the utterance of their mouths, conforming with the unbelievers before them. God assail them. How they are perverted. They have taken their rabbis and their monks as lords apart from God and the Messiah Mary's son, and they were commanded to serve but one God. There is no God but he. Now, I would say that that's a direct challenge to the things that I believe about the Christian faith and about what the scriptures teach concerning Jesus. And again, I agree that there is one God. I find it very difficult to separate that one God, however, biblically, from the Messiah, the person of Jesus Christ. And then one last quote. Speaking of the punishment that is coming to the Jews. So for disbelieving, and their uttering against Mary a mighty calumny, and for their saying, we slew the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, the messenger of God, yet they did not slay him, neither crucified him, only a likeness of that was shown to them, and they slew him not of a certainty. No, indeed, God raised him up to him. And what the text there in the Quran is saying is that Jesus was, in fact, not crucified. But there was only an image or a likeness of Jesus that was crucified. Now, despite that, despite that teaching, which I find to be in contrast to what God says about himself in Scripture concerning his own son, the author of the new book has one thing definitely right. And that is that when he talks about the attitude that we're supposed to have toward Muslims, that the attitude we're supposed to have is one of love. That the attitude that we're supposed to have is one of actual respect as human beings. And that we need to be people who show them grace even while we at the same time disagree and disagree adamantly with what they have to say about who God is, about who Jesus is. I remember years ago I was in Abilene as a student and uh, Robin and I had decided to go to the Highland Church on Sunday night, or actually Sunday morning. We went on a Sunday morning and then Lynn Anderson was the preacher and Lynn, uh, at the end of his sermon, he said, I'm going to be talking about homosexuality tonight, addressing the approach the church needs to take toward homosexuality. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. I'll stick around for that. So Robin and I went back on Sunday night to hear Lynn preach again. And I'll never forget it. Lynn started his sermon with these words. He said, let me tell you tonight what God thinks of homosexuals. And I'm sure there were people who were kind of bracing for whatever judgment Lynn might convey from Scripture. And then Lynn said, God loves homosexuals. And that's exactly right. He does. In fact, God loves homosexuals. God loves Muslims. God loves all human beings so much that for them, he sent his son to die. That's what he thinks of them. Now, it could well be, well, not just could well be, it is the case that God disagrees with homosexual behavior. I think Scripture makes that really clear. 
And I think that when it comes to what the Quran says about Jesus, that it's mistaken. But the attitude that we're supposed to have toward those in the world who sin is to be an attitude of love. It's to be an attitude of grace. It's to be an attitude of care. The fact is, I think there are other challenges to our faith that we face that are bigger than Islam. And I, and I actually, I, if, if you pinned me down and you said to me, what do you think will come of the world in the future in, in terms of this conflict between Christianity and Islam, which I think there really is a conflict here. I, I'm not very hopeful, actually. I'm not a prophet. These aren't words from God. This is just Kelly's opinion. I just wonder, though, if there won't be a continuing uh, escalation of conflict. That wouldn't surprise me. But in the midst of that escalation of conflict, I'm hoping that the church of Jesus Christ will stand where Jesus wants to stand with respect to loving those people. And I'm not sure that's the biggest problem we have or that we will face. More likely, I think, the problem that the church will face, the biggest challenge that we're going to face in the future, is not coming from Islam or another religion, but probably coming from ourselves. Most likely, the temptations that we face in the world to compromise our faith in Jesus, most likely, the compromises that we make on a daily basis when it comes to our materialism, those are probably a lot more challenging when it comes to what's really going to to be a problem for the church. What may be a problem is just the, the confrontation that we have constantly with the humanism that's around us. And so I'm worried about Islam. I'm really worried about the encroaching humanism that causes us to make decisions and to just daily kind of compromise where we're at with reference to our faith in Christ. Some of you this week no doubt saw the uh, lambasting, lambasting that Mike Huckabee received in response to his comments about uh, who is the actress that was pregnant at the, at the Oscars? Natalie Portman, thank you. Yeah, Mike Huckabee made the comment publicly, being interviewed by Michael Medved, that he thought that that wasn't a very good example for young ladies, that that was a problem. And, of course, they're going to they're gonna get him for that one. Now, I'm not necessarily a big Mike Huckabee fan, but I was impressed that someone in a public way was willing to stand up and say that the image that Natalie Portman portrays of this totally together, very successful, very wealthy, very pretty person is exampling for a whole world of young ladies the notion that it's okay to get pregnant first and then do the marriage afterward. And he said that he thought that was a problem. Well, I actually agree with him. I think that most of us probably would. But isn't it amazing the way the world has completely reversed its position and and made it so that for you to speak out against that or to say, this isn't really the way it should be done, that's what brings all the wrath of the world. When I was a kid, it wasn't that way. 
I can remember being a young man and that kind of event occurring, and people would say, this is too bad. It's too bad that a mistake has been made. And it was referred to and thought of as a mistake. And we went in a very short period, because I'm not that old, from me going from a young man to a middle-aged man, and in the meantime, all the values got reversed, and what used to be not a good thing, not the way you were supposed to do it, is now said to be almost the way it should be done. And so we hear about people saying, oh, I, I want to have a baby, but I don't really want to get married. I just want to have the baby. Well, I think that's a problem. Now, Mike Huckabee said, and I think he's right, he said it's one thing for a multimillionaire who does movies and who can afford every luxury for that child to bring that baby into the world. It's another thing for a poor, single, young mother in some ghetto somewhere to get pregnant and have to do the same thing. And I think he's got a good point. The statistics on the number of children that are born to unwed mothers in North America, especially in the inner cities, those numbers are staggering. And Huckabee said in his comments, you realize what will happen to these poor young girls who think that this is okay. They will share that experience, but they will end up alone, they will end up poor, and they will end up dependent absolutely on the government, and he is exactly right. That is what happens. The other night, Megan was out to dinner with Robin and I. She offered to pay, and at the last minute reneged after we'd already eaten our meal. I'm not over that one. <laughs> we were sitting at dinner the other night, and she said, I got a, an email today from, Robin, help me, the girl's name, Linda. She got an email from Linda. Linda is noteworthy in that I thought that my daughter was the only four foot ten black child in the city who was fully grown. Linda is her almost exact double. Like Linda and Megan went to school together, graduated together. They look exactly alike. If the two of them are standing together, you really would think they're sisters. Linda emailed Megan during the afternoon on Friday. How's it going? You know, what are you doing? Are you working? Da 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 da. By the way, I'm four months pregnant. Megan told us that at supper. And I looked at her and I said, that poor girl. And I was heartbroken. Because Linda is going to experience exactly what Mike Huckabee said they're going to experience. And what's happened is that in our world, there is a set of perspectives that people no longer have. 
And we know this very well. It runs exactly in contrast to where the gospel says our lives are supposed to go. And you know, I'm not condemning of Linda. Like I didn't, when Megan said that, I didn't sit there thinking to myself, oh, that sinful girl. That wasn't my first thought. My first thought was that poor child. And I don't mean the one that's in the womb. I mean this young lady. She, in the course of the texting and emailing back and forth on Friday afternoon, told Megan, I'm, I've already moved out. She's on her own. I know her family. They don't have any money. What's she going to do? There's a worldview that is different that runs in the face of what Jesus would have us do. And it's not just that it's wrong. It's not just that the Quran and the statements that it makes about Jesus are mistaken. That would be okay if it was just a mistake. But it's not just a mistake. And the choices that people make when they choose to do something in contrast to God's will for their lives, it's, it's sin, but that's not even really the tragedy. The problem is what it does to human life. And that's why God gives us the instruction to begin with. Because he knows what is best. He knows what is right. He knows that if we follow his way, things work way better. And if we don't, it's disastrous. And so the question this morning is, where or from where do we take our bearings? What controls our choices? What controls our decisions? You heard the passage read a little while ago about the cult on which Jesus sat. And he comes into the city and they lay down their cloaks in front of him and they put palm branches down and they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they acknowledge Jesus when they say that, that he is king, that he is absolutely Lord. They make a claim about who Jesus is in our world that still stands. And if Jesus was to walk in here, which one of us would not bow down on our faces before him because he is Lord? We all would. And it's on the basis of that kind of claim of Jesus being king Lord of the world, that we make our decisions. Our worldview has to somehow testify to who Jesus is. And so when the claim is made that he is Lord, when he is king, that needs to drive us. Now listen to these words that finish up this passage. In fact, I think I have them up here. Yeah. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, and notice that Jesus is weeping. If, if Linda is standing before Jesus, the first thing that Jesus is going to do is cry. Because Jesus is brokenhearted, just as I was when Megan told me the other night what was happening with Linda. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, a city that was not ready to call him Lord, he wept over it and said, 
if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you. And what is the next word in that sentence, folks? Peace. Like, isn't our world... (laughs) This thought just ran through my head. Isn't our world dying for peace? Isn't that the case? And doesn't Jesus say, if, you ever, if even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Hidden from your eyes, why? Because you're not acknowledging the Lord of the universe. And when you don't do things His way, things don't work. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They didn't recognize the king when he came. The outcome was that in 70 AD, the Romans swept into Jerusalem and they annihilated the city. Historians tell us that the blood ran six inches deep in the gutters of Jerusalem because of the carnage that took place in the city of Jerusalem. Peace was at the door. The Lord of peace was entering their city. Every opportunity was there for people to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and have everything turned around, and they didn't do it. And I'm fearful, I'm so fearful that our world won't do it. Our world won't hear the message that we offer about Jesus. They won't respond. They won't do it God's way. And it will eventually get us. You can't continually turn your back on the Lord of glory and have it not somehow go against you in the end. It's just the way that he has created. He's created a system in which if you do things in line with his will... Things work better in this case. I'm afraid they may not. Nonetheless, I want Megan's friend to have peace. Bruce, you can probably turn that back on, the hot water there. We don't want Andrea to be too cool. Thank you. I want Megan's friend to have peace. And my heart does break today for that young lady. I think of all the times when she and Megan ran out of school together. And I would go to pick her up day after day, pick Megan up, and Linda would be there with her. Or I would take Linda home or after a practice or something, find her with Megan doing something. And now that poor young lady is going to have a baby all by herself. She's alone, headed for the unknown. And there are hundreds, there are thousands of young ladies just like her. There is a world of people who have departed from the way that God wants his children to walk. And it's inevitable that if somebody doesn't help them see the light, the light of the world, 
that things will continue to move in that direction. But the fact is, that puts a huge responsibility on our shoulders. But it is one that I welcome. It's one that I think we're absolutely prepared for. There is no people in the world more prepared to help the world in this situation than we are. We've given the governments opportunities to do something about this. Hasn't really worked, would you say? We've given opportunities for other faith systems and philosophies to try and do something with the difficulties that our world faces. And I haven't seen the kind of progress that's there. Unfortunately, the kind of progress that really needs to be there hasn't really come about in light of what we've done either. Which makes me think that we're going to have to step up our game a bit. I don't think it's God's fault. But we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to do something significant. I wish that somehow we could have headed off Linda's difficulties before they ever occurred. But despite the fact that we didn't stop that one or prevent that one, what about the others? What about the ones in the future? What about the ones that our grandchildren are going to have to face? When the church is given the mission of Jesus, we are given not just a responsibility, but a tremendous opportunity to change our world for the better, to do something good. I love the fact that our young people are going to Estonia because they're going to do something good for our world by going there. I love it that we support missionaries all over the world because in doing so, we give others an opportunity to do something good for our world. And we, in our context, need to do something good for our world. And so when you hear those opportunities... When something arises, some chance that we have to do something positive in our world, seize the moment. I'm absolutely convinced that God places those moments before us. He gives us an opportunity to do something positive and wonderful for Him that makes an impact on our world. And it doesn't matter whether you're 80 or 8. If you end up acknowledging the King and doing things his way, and being willing to be the servant of the king that God expects all of us to be, we have a chance, an opportunity, to do something incredible in our world. There's too many Lindas. There's too many cities where Jesus would stand and look at that city and say, oh, and would weep. Let's do something about that. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of the mission to make an impact in our world. God, I want to pray this morning especially for that young lady. Father, I pray that you would bless her with people around her that somehow will sustain her and lift her up and minister to her. Father, I pray for her, her new coming baby. Father, I pray that you would help us as a church to extend our influence, to extend our ministry 
and the chances that we have to, in your name, take a message of good news to this world that needs you so badly. Father, only you can take the the mess that is our world and turn it around. We pray that you'd open our hearts and help us to be your willing servants, that you might do do that through us in some small way. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.